reads thus, Concerning this salvation, the prophets who spoke of the grace that was to come to you searched intently and with the greatest care, trying to find out the time and circumstances to which the Spirit of Christ in them was pointing when he predicted the sufferings of Christ and the glories that would follow. It was revealed to them that they were not serving themselves, but you, when they spoke of things that have now been told to you by those who have preached the gospel to you by the Holy Spirit sent from God, sent from heaven. Even angels long to look into these things. I'm just going to read another passage from Second Peter as well. Second Peter chapter 1. We'll begin in verse 16. Second Peter 1, verse 16 through 21. We did not follow cleverly invented stories when we told you about the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. For he received honor and glory from God the Father when the voice came to him from the majestic glory saying, This is my Son whom I love. With him I am well pleased. We ourselves heard this voice that came from heaven when we were with him on that sacred mountain. And we have the word of the prophets made more certain and you will do well to pay attention to it as to a light shining in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts. Above all, you must understand that no prophecy of Scripture came about by the prophet's own interpretation. For prophecy never had its origin in the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. This is the word of the Lord. Let us pray. Father, we come before you at this time in the name of your Son. The only way that we can come before you as children, as those who are worthy, is in your Son. As being those who are clothed in His goodness and His virtue and His righteousness by faith in Him alone. We thank You, especially as we move through this season of Advent, this season of Christmas once again. We thank You that we can try our best to, to refocus our minds and our hearts on who Christ is, what He came to do, and the purpose for which He came to accomplish what He has accomplished, what He is accomplishing. Help us today as we continue to look into Your Word to see these things, to be reminded of what it means to be the church, what it means to be a believer, to be reminded of the grace that is found in Christ and how that should 
impact our lives, impact our thoughts and our words, our decisions, our intentions. What you've called us to, to do, what you've called us to be. We ask your forgiveness at this time for the ways in which we have failed beyond what we probably could count this week, in the past week. Ways we have failed to honor you in our lives, in our homes, in our jobs, in our gatherings, even as believers. Ways how we have failed to honor you up to this very moment. We ask your forgiveness as you made clear to us that we should pray every day. Forgive us this day our trespasses. We thank you. We thank you that there is abundant grace in Christ. That if we come to you in him, we will find forgiveness. We will find grace to cover our sins, to cleanse us, and to empower us to continue looking to you and striving to live in a way that honors you. So we ask for your forgiveness and we ask for your strength. Not just your forgiving grace, but your enabling grace. Help us to, as we look at and listen to these passages this morning, help us that this would be a time of worship. As we behold the, the work of Christ, but also the work of the Spirit whom you sent to continue this great commission, this mission that Christ himself sent his church on. Help us to, to be instructed, to be encouraged and equipped, convicted and corrected where we need to be and exhorted to stay faithful to you in this mission. And to be comforted that you are ultimately the reason why we can stand at all. You are the reason why we will stay true to the end. And if we do stay faithful, the only thing we will ever say to you at the end of it all is thank you. It's you did it. And all glory will be to you. So help that to be the way in which this time now is dedicated to you. May the words of my mouth and the meditation of all our hearts be acceptable to you to accomplish these ends for your glory and for our good. I ask all these things in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Well, as I mentioned last week, uh, we... We actually were going through the book of Matthew for a little while, and we completed the book of Matthew. And after the Great Commission, I thought it would be fitting for us to continue um, looking at sort of the, the pattern and the order that God actually gives us in the Bible itself. Um, God is a, a God of order. Um, he's a God of wisdom. And so since He has given us His Word, in a particular layout, um, we see the Gospels flow straight into the book of Acts. And it's in the book of Acts that we have that historical account where the third person of the Trinity 
comes to us. The Holy Spirit sent from heaven. And we saw a few different things in that, uh, in the sermon and the passages we looked at last week. um, That He was sent to give us power, to clothe us with power from on high, to make us His witnesses to the ends of the earth. And a number of other things that we, more things that we actually discussed on Sunday evening last week. But this week I wanted us to keep looking at the purpose for which the Spirit Himself was sent to us. And as we were hearing beautifully in the reading this morning, at Christmas we don't just move through the motions of the story of Christmas. We don't just want to rehearse the first birth of Christ or the only birth of Christ um, and His first coming. But we want to also focus on the purpose of that which culminates or or finds its climax in the second coming, the final coming. And in between that time, He has left us here, as we were discussing on Wednesday night. He's left us here, in a sense, as the church, to be His hands and His feet. Um, Before I say any more, I'll just pause there and just let you know that as you see on the screen, the sermon title for this morning is is the prophetic word more fully confirmed. That is a a rendering of 2 Peter chapter 1 verse 19. The beginning of it, if you let your eyes look down there again, you'll see that. Prophetic word more fully confirmed. That's from the ESV translation. And I have three points that I want us to think about um, that will I hope help us to continue focusing on the purpose for which we really exist as a church. The first point is this, the Spirit and the Word. Secondly, the Spirit and the Church. And thirdly, the Spirit and Salvation. So let's look at this, under this first heading, let's look at a few other uh, portions of Scripture. But before we turn away again from Peter's writings... I wanted to just come back to first or second Peter chapter one verse twenty one. Second Peter one verse twenty one. So turn back there if you would. Second Peter one verse twenty one. And this is how it reads For prophecy never had its origin in the will of of man, or as some translations put it, for no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. And in writing this, Peter is showing us something very important. Notice how he does this, though. He's teaching us what you could basically call the doctrine of inspiration. Oh, I'm going to just turn this off. Okay. Um, The doctrine of inspiration. We'll try again with this sound. The doctrine of inspiration is um, touched on lightly in verse 21. But I want to Go back to verse 16 and show you how he starts out 
focusing on prioritizing this doctrine. For we did not follow cleverly devised myths when we made known to you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. For when he received honor and glory from God the Father, and the voice was borne to him by the majestic glory, this is my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased. We ourselves heard this very voice born from heaven, for we were with him on that holy mountain. You notice in there a few things that are important. First of all, Peter begins, before he talks about the doctrine of inspiration, he begins by talking about a personal experience that he had. And he says, we were with him. We were eyewitnesses of this majesty. This is a reference to what we call the transfiguration. Perhaps you remember that. We, we read it in the gospel according to Matthew. Um, the transfiguration was a moment in the, the earthly ministry of Christ when he actually took Peter and James and John up to the top of a mountain and right there before their eyes was transformed in a sense, was transfigured into the future heavenly glory that would be coming. They caught a glimpse of what many of us long to see in our hearts, those of us who are believers, and even unbelievers who are looking for hope and peace and joy and love and all the things that we are thinking about at Advent, things that can only be found in Christ. Christ became before their eyes the embodiment of all of that and more. It's as if through Christ they saw heaven on earth as he was speaking to Moses and Elijah. And the reason that Peter goes into detail to make it known that there were more than just him, he uses the word we, is because quite simply, you need more than one or two eyewitnesses to prove the truth of a claim. And so people would have probably heard this taught or spoken about. Maybe they would have gone to John. Maybe they would have gone to James. And they would have tried to catch them, separate from Peter, perhaps. This is not in the Bible, but I'm just getting you to use some sort of holy in, you know, imagination for a moment. This is how it works. The skeptics would have gone, and when they found out from both James and John that it was the exact same testimony, this historical account Peter gives us would have stood the test of time, and it has to this day. He says, we were eyewitnesses to this majesty. And he says, we heard a voice from heaven, from the Father, that said, this is my beloved Son, with whom I'm well pleased. This was a very important truth for the people of God to understand and for us today. Quite simply, the statement of the Father speaking in an audible voice, and notice it wasn't a still small voice in the wind. It wasn't a voice in their heads. It wasn't some kind of voice in their hearts. Where did the voice come from? Heaven. We heard this voice audibly saying, 
This is my beloved son with whom I'm well pleased. You have to understand then that the, the God the Father being pleased with his son is really in contrast to how God views us as a human race. And on the off chance that we have sometimes forgotten this truth, it's important we remember it. The reason that Jesus came down to earth, the reason that God so loved the world that He sent His only Son, was because we cannot please God. We do not have the capacity to be pleasing in His sight because of our sin. Even our best efforts will not achieve this. This is the opposite of what a lot of positive speech, positive teachers, and we'll go too much into that, but this is the opposite of what the majority of the teaching in this world wants us to hear. This is quite frankly the opposite of what we want to hear. But this was the second time that the voice of God the Father had spoken like this from heaven. Before that, it was at his baptism. Do you remember? As Jesus had gone down and as he was coming up out of the water, the Spirit of God descended similarly to the, the form of a dove. And God says, this is my beloved Son. With him, I'm well pleased. What an experience. Can you imagine if something like this took place? Imagine if it took place in the middle of a Facebook Live Imagine if it happened right now. I can pretty much guarantee this church would be exploding next week. Hmm. Experiences. How much stock should we put in our experiences? But notice what Peter goes on to say in verse 19. Having heard this, having seen this, we were with him I'm going to read from a different translation now, the ESV, in verse 19 of 2 Peter 1. And we have the prophetic word more fully confirmed. He's referring to the scriptures, by the way, when he says that. But notice he says, we have the prophetic word more fully confirmed, to which you will do well to pay attention. As to a lamp shining in a dark place, until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts. Um, there's different thoughts about this very poetic and somewhat unclear language. But it's essentially, I think, what Peter is saying is, we have the scriptures which have confirmed all of the experiences, including the one that I had. Throughout the ages, since the Garden of Eden, everything you could pile up as a glorious, majestic experience. We have the scriptures to which you would do well to pay attention over experiences like the one that I recently went through. Peter's saying you should pay more attention to the Word of God in written form. Pay close attention because we're in a dark world. That's why he says, as a lamp shining in a dark place. Think of Psalm uh, 119 and I think it's 105. Your word is a, a lamp 
unto my feet and a light to my path. I have hidden your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. Why? Because the psalmist is paying attention. Or Psalm 119.18 Open my eyes that I may behold wondrous things from your law. And we'll come back to that. But there's three things I want you to see here about the Spirit and the Word. Peter is pointing us not to look for prophetic words from anyone today. He's pointing us not to do that, but to pay attention to what we now have in these very words that he's writing. And notice what he says. Why should we pay so much attention until the day dawns? In other words, he's referring now to the second coming of Christ. That's what he mentioned in verse 16. We made known to you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus. He always adds that into his uh, gospel proclamation, in other words. People who hear the gospel need to understand, you must respond now because we don't know when he'll return. And why do we pay such attention to this word? Verse 20. Knowing this, first of all, that no prophecy of Scripture comes from someone's own interpretation. Interpretation there is not actually referring to the way we interpret things primarily. It's talking about the origin. It doesn't come from the purposes and the, the, the reason of man. It continues, For no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man, but men spoke from God. That was the office of prophets, remember? All throughout the Old Testament, we had these people called prophets. And for the, the entire history of the nation of Israel, there was only usually one person that would go into the very presence of God and come back to the people and say, Thus says the Lord. And that's how they would, that's how they would hear. I want you to think about this. That's how they would hear the very voice of God through a man saying, this is what God has said to us. This has been the history of God's people throughout the ages. But praise God now, in the person and the work of the Holy Spirit, in this new covenant, look at what God has done. He has graciously, perfectly given us His words, His wonderful words of life in this book that we call the Bible. That's why throughout the ages the church started this, I guess, something like a, a mantra, not the best word, but this refrain that we would use when someone reads the Bible, they would say, this is the word of the Lord. And when usually pastor would say something like that, the rest of the church would say, thanks be to God. You know why? Because every time the Bible is read, the voice of God has just been heard. Interesting. I want to ask you to think about this honestly. Do you believe that? See, this was the primary role of the Spirit in the life of believers. Along with glorifying Christ by helping them have eyes to see and to believe and to come into this faith... It was to complete this prophetic word. And Peter says, pay attention to it. Pay attention to it. Come back again to what we read in 1 Peter chapter 1. At the end of verse 12, 
Now, look at the attitude of the angels. The end of verse 12. Even angels long to look into these things. Angels. Created beings. Creatures. Spiritual creatures who have been around before us. There's no new ones, by the way. They don't procreate like people. God created the heavens and the earth and He doesn't give us any details. Well, hardly any details, not in Genesis, about how He created angels. But one thing I can tell you is this. Everything that was created in the beginning, there's nothing else that's been created since. But these angels who've been watching for thousands of years... Their attitude towards salvation, which, by the way, they don't receive. Angels are not like human beings. They're not involved in the fall and redemption and the Holy Spirit indwelling us. And they're not involved in all of that. They're not made in God's image. Only mankind is. But the attitude of the angels is that they are fixated, fascinated to look into the things of salvation have another question based on that is that your attitude this morning do we find ourselves week after week making sure that we are going through all the things that we need to do tick 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 in the right fashion or are our hearts enthralled to meet together in the presence of the living God and hear him speak to us, church. Is this something that we can say we feel at times at least? Angels long to look into these things. Angels long to, to understand how can it be? Or as that old hymn puts it, and can it be that the one through whom all things were made has stepped into time and space and involved himself and while being the one who upholds all things by his own power to become dependent on the milk of Mary's bosom does that fascinate your mind my friends this is the mystery and the beauty and the glory of Christmas at one and the same time turn with me to the book of Hebrews and you'll see something of this wonderful, glorious reality. Hebrews chapter 1, starting in verse 1. In the past, God spoke. You see it there. Praise God. The true and living God is he's true. He's living. And he's not a totem pole. He's not some Buddha stuck in stone on a mountain, right? He speaks to his people. He comes to us. He communes with us. In the past... God spoke to our forefathers through the prophets at many times and in various ways. But in these last days, He has spoken to us by His Son, whom He appointed heir of all things and through whom He made the universe. Through Christ, according to the plan and will and decree of the Father, every molecule that holds together to make up creation was made. And listen to this. The sun 
in verse 3, the sun is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his being, sustaining all things by his powerful word. After he had provided purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty in heaven. So what is Jesus doing after creation? Before he even becomes part of it, he's upholding everything. Christ is creator and sustainer. But the glory of Christmas is this. He somehow, and we cannot fathom this, right? Or fully explain it. We can't do justice in any explanation, but we should try. At one and the same time, as Elder Tommy was reading this morning and talking about, he is truly divine and truly human. And from birth, he still, in his divine nature, is involved in upholding the universe, including upholding the supply of breast milk he needed to survive in his humanity. It's mind-boggling. Isn't that amazing that this one person in two natures exists? And he exists forevermore. He had to become one of us, truly dependent, truly human, to live a perfect life, to die a substitutionary death of atonement on the cross, paying the full penalty of our sins. Not in part, but the whole, as that old hymn says. And then rise again, and he's seated at the right hand of the Father with this dual nature. This is the Christ of Christmas. We must, as we go through the motions of the story of Christmas, we must keep in our hearts, front and center, this glorious Christ. And how do we do that, brothers and sisters? It's by the work of the Spirit through His Word. See, Peter here in verse 21 of 2 Peter 1 is showing us that the origin of Scripture is actually God. Just like the prophets of old, this book now is like the prophetic written word of God. And it speaks and moves with that same kind of power. In fact, there's, there's other passages. I think of at least three, but I'm just going to read one. 2 Timothy 3, starting in verse 16 to the end there. 2 Timothy 3, 16. All scripture is breathed out or God breathed breathed out by God or God breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting and training in righteousness so that the man of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. We see first of all, when it comes to the spirit and the word, the inspiration of scripture. Some translations say all scripture is inspired, but the word there is a little bit, can be confusing. It's not inspired like perhaps one of us wakes up tomorrow and we feel inspired to do something good for God. And we should. And I hope we all do. But that's not what the word is referring to when it says inspired. It's talking about the, again, mysterious but factual reality that the men who wrote scripture, as Peter says, they spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. And none of the things that were written come from people's own ideas or 
interpretation of things, but the Spirit Himself moves them. This doesn't mean that it was dictated, like a man sat down with a pen and the Spirit said, write the, the. But what it means is, in some amazing way, God took all the different men, over 1,500 years, about 40 different authors, from three different continents, in, in two different languages, a little bit of Aramaic, and put together for us all these books of the Bible that we call the Word of God, and they, He used their personality, their context, all of their um, you know, circumstances, and they wrote, but they wrote under what you could call the super intending of the Holy Spirit. Their intending was there, but they, they were super intended. God super intended so that, check this out, every jot and tittle is precisely what God wanted to say to us. And that's Jesus' view of Scripture. If you want to, you know, if I can hear some of the red letter people. Well, what did Jesus say? First of all, all Scriptures God breathed, so He aligns with it. But if you jump to passages like John 10, 35, in the middle of a, a discussion he's having with the Pharisees, Jesus makes this quick statement. He says, isn't this what it says over here in the Psalms? And then Jesus says these words, and scripture cannot be broken. Check that out. Scripture cannot. That's speaking of an impossibility. Why would Jesus say that? Because he believed it. And if Jesus believes that, we must believe that we have the very words of God before us. The Spirit and the Word, inspiration, illumination, as I said, Psalm 119, 18. The psalmist who is already a believer cries out and says, Open my eyes, Lord, that I may behold wondrous things from your law. He's trying to embrace that that kind of attitude of angels long to look into these things. Because let's be realistic. Sometimes we wake up on a Monday morning or a Sunday morning or whatever day of the week it is. And we might even just go to our Bibles, hopefully. We go to our Bibles out of routine and we open them up. And sometimes, this is true of all of us, starting with me. Sometimes my heart is not in it. You know, a good place to start there would be this. God, help me. Lord, forgive me because I'm coming to your word. I understand all these things about your word. But I'm not, let's just call it, in the mood. I don't desire to hear from you. Those of us who have been married for any length of time, who know what it's like to have a spouse that for whatever reason just doesn't want to talk. You know that feeling? That's a reality that we can experience at times. And it's not a good feeling if you know that this is a person that you claim to love, but you sort of want to hang out with, but you don't want to hear from more than maybe once a week or twice a week. And when you do talk, it's like, yeah, love you. Talk to you later. We must never allow that to, to settle in our hearts. If you come to the Word of God, be like the psalmist who believes in God, who loves God, who knows it's his word, but still says, open my eyes that I may behold wondrous things in your law. And this is talking about illumination. 
Inspiration was a once-for-all completed act. We have the complete prophetic word fully confirmed through the inspiration of the Spirit. So what does he do through it now for us? Let's call it illumination. He uses the same eternal truths to shine light into our lives, to, to do something else, which is the third part, which is called transformation. Romans 8.29 tells us that the purpose of God predestining His loved ones was to conform them to the image of His Son. Again, I, I mentioned this last week. The purpose of the Holy Spirit is to shine the spotlight on Christ. And one of the greatest ways He does that is by taking a sinner like you and me, who has no interest in Christ, and who doesn't look anything like Jesus Christ in their life, and gradually makes us become more like this glorious Christ so that when we open our mouth to speak of him people can actually say oh yeah that makes sense I hear what you're saying about him I see it in your life it's like two hands are clapping together and it bears good fruit it bears good witness Romans 12 1 through 2 Paul tells us there we are no longer to be conformed to this world but we're to be transformed by the renewing of our mind. How does that happen? Not by a strategy. You cannot enforce or somehow install godliness. It must be by the power of the Spirit working through His Word. And we must again open ourselves up to this regularly. We must long to experience this reality. Which comes to the second point, the Spirit and the church. What is the purpose of the church? We're going to get more into this next year. For those of you who are visiting, um, we're going to have a bit of a series, God willing, maybe 20 or so sermons. And the goal of these sermons is going to be to, to revisit foundational truths, starting with what we're looking at this morning. What is the Bible? What is Scripture? And, and we're going to move from that through other essential doctrines of the Christian faith. I was thinking of calling it what we believe, but I don't want anyone to think this is what we believe here. What we need to understand, especially now in the modern Christian church, is what we as Christians, as believers, since the point of Pentecost, have sought to understand and believe and live out from the pages of the scriptures. And the goal of it is for us to revisit these kinds of doctrines. Um, at the end of it, or during even, if some of you who are visiting would like to discuss becoming members, uh, I want to put this out there and to encourage you, all of you, to think of it this way, as sort of a, an invitation for a new members kind of study. And for those of you who maybe are listening and are not here, and those of you who visit once in a while and would call yourself members, Consider it a renewal of your membership. If you come to the point where you say, I believe these truths and I want to help the church commit to living out these truths, well, don't miss out starting in January 7th to July 7th because that's the goal of that sermon series. But ultimately, the purpose of the church, considering the spirit and the church now, is twofold. It's to worship of God. The true worship of God 
and evangelism. And that's even an act of worship in a sense. Think about it this way. What is the primary reason that we gather on Sunday mornings? What, this is what I'm going to say, what should be the primary reason of all of our Sunday morning gatherings, our Sunday evening, our Wednesday evening, when we gather together as believers, the primary purpose should be worship. Please come. If you're listening and you're not a Christian, at any point you hear this, please come to church. But just understand something. These services will not be designed for you primarily. And let me take that a step further. Every single one of us in this room, these services must not be designed for us primarily. Because when we look at the book of Revelation, what we see is that while it benefits us greatly, all the future glory in the new heaven and earth is not designed for us, brothers and sisters. It is worthy is the Lamb. And the way that churches and Christians, and the only way that we can learn how to, to live out this purpose of worship in all we do, and what we don't do, and evangelism and being on this great commission Jesus called us to is to do what Peter calls us to do here in 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 19. We pay attention to the word which is more fully confirmed than all the experiences. And by the way, he's, he's, not, he's not diminishing all the prophecies. He's saying all of them are upheld and confirmed in Jesus Christ and encapsulated now in the word the scriptures how do we maintain faithfulness it's by the word of God see the spirit is seeking to work through this if you took your time over the course of 1500 years to give someone the greatest gift that could bring life that could transform them that could keep you saved and glorify you. Wouldn't it be wise to recognize that that gift, and in this case I'm talking about the Bible, is what you would expect them to focus on. For you to do what you gave that very word to do through. So we see the Spirit and the Word firstly. We see the Spirit and the church there's a lot more that we could say about that. But primarily, the Spirit of God, when He indwells the people of God, He moves in us and through us according to the Word of God. This doesn't mean that we have to walk around with our Bibles open 24-7, or like some Jews would do with it written all over them. You know, more modern, cool version, I guess, with getting tattoos all over your arms. Um, I'm not going to offer an opinion on that. But what it means is, you need to be a people of this book. You need to be a people of the Word of God. We must be a people that saturates ourselves with the Word of God. I will hide your Word in my heart. That needs to be our call, our cry. Hide His Word in our hearts so that what? So that we might not sin against Him. How can a young man keep his way pure? By guarding it. By guarding it. According to what? 
your word. That's Psalm 119 again. It has nothing to do with our experiences. And sometimes, you need to understand this too, it has very little to do with our traditions. There is no power in any tradition if it is not strictly from the word of God and clearly proclaiming the Son of God. It will not accomplish the work of God. It is the Spirit and the Word. The Spirit and the Word through the church or in the church. And finally, again, this is about salvation. The Spirit and salvation. There's only one true gospel. And if you'll go back to 1 Peter with me one more time. We need to be clear on what the true gospel is. On who the true Christ is. If you deny the the true humanity of Christ or the divinity of Christ, if you deny the virgin birth, if you deny the sinless life of Jesus Christ, if you deny that it is purely His death on the cross that can make an atonement for your sins, if you, like some, I'll call them cults, claim to believe in all the right things about Jesus up to that point, But then you say, well, yeah, we have to believe in what he accomplished. But it's also making sure that we, well, somehow keep other Old Testament laws and things like that. That's not a belief in the gospel. That's not a belief in Christ. It's a belief that we can live out the obedience that's still needed. We must obey him if we love him. But if we deny any of those things, if we deny his substitutionary death, his bodily resurrection and ascension 40 days after that resurrection and his second coming, if we deny any of those things, we have denied salvation. First Peter chapter 1 again. Look at, look at verses 10 through 12. Concerning this salvation... The prophets who spoke of the grace that was to come to you searched intently. Catch the attitude again. Searched intently and with the greatest care, trying to find out the time and circumstances to which the Spirit of Christ in them was pointing when he predicted the sufferings of Christ and the glories that would follow. So the Spirit was at work moving in the hearts, even though He didn't permanently indwell those prophets. He was pointing them to pay attention, to be attentive to when the Christ would come, when He would be born, to when He would die on the cross, to when He would rise again, to when He came again in glory, the glories that would follow. Subsequent glories. And notice it says, it was revealed to them that they were not serving themselves, but you. When they spoke of the things that have now been told to you by those who have preached the gospel to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven. Again, angels long to look into these things. This is giving you an idea that the Holy Spirit has been at work in the people of God to point them and their focus to what? To Jesus Christ. Since the beginning of time. Since God preached the gospel to Adam and Eve. And said. There will be a time when a son will be born. A son will be born. 
Eve. And he says to the serpent, you will bruise his heel. You will damage him. And, and that maybe that's the greatest understatement in all of history. When you think about what Christ underwent, bruising just doesn't feel like it cuts it, right? You will bruise his heel, but he will crush your head. That is complete victory. Notice how, notice how this chapter ends in 1 Peter chapter 1. Look at verses 23 through 24. Right, let's look at how it begins actually first. Verse 3. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In His great mercy, He has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade. No social crash or economic problems of this world will touch the inheritance of glory in Christ. He says that can never perish, spoil, or fade. Kept in heaven for you who through faith are shielded by God's power until the coming of the salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. And jump down to verse 23 with me now. For you have been born again. You see what he started with. Praise God because he gave us a new birth. Remember that song we just sang? Hark the herald angels sing. Born to save the sons of earth. Born to give them second birth. Peter saying, you who believe, you have been born again. For you have been born again, verse 23, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable through the living and enduring work of God. Word of God, rather. Through the living and enduring word of God. You see how you've been born again. You see, this is perhaps one of the most detailed descriptions of something we still won't be able to fully grasp. How do you receive the second birth? It's of God, and it is the Spirit of God working through the Word of God. And He continues to do that for us. Uh, but we must be a people of the Word of God. That is part of the reason sometimes for stagnancy in personal life and corporate life. He says, we've been born again through the Word of God. And then he quotes Isaiah in verse 24. For all men are like grass, and all their glory, all their glory is like the flowers of the field. The grass withers and the flowers fall, but the Word of the Lord stands forever. And this is the Word that was preached to you. Beloved, why we come together in particular on these mornings, week after week, has always been, must remain, and has to be until Christ returns, primarily to be a people of the Word of God who set these times apart in our lives. We should, we should read it, study it, pray through it all week long, which will only fuel us all the more for these kinds of gatherings. 
And this is where we come to hear from God and to respond to God in a very vital way. I think this is extremely important for a number of reasons. Just recently heard, uh, came across someone, self-proclaimed, I guess, street preacher, and half of what was being said was bashing the church. Oh, we don't have to go to a building. Oh, we don't have... And I was thinking, yep, that all, everything you're saying is true. But after about 20 minutes, I haven't heard anything about Jesus Christ yet. So who are you speaking for? On the one hand, we as the church must come together today and in other days like this for the worship of God together and to be filled, in a sense, to, to, to be filled more spiritually by the Spirit as we get ready to go into the world. And remember what Jesus said. The going is not just to say, well, we went. We go to make disciples. On the one hand, we must never lose sight of the glory. As simple as it is, we must never lose sight of the glory of what we have in the Scriptures and the power of the Holy Spirit working through His Word. Because then, all of these services, if we start to lose sight of these glories, you know what they become? Dead rituals. There's no meaning, right? So false claims, like I heard this person saying about most of the churches in the Cayman Islands, and this is happening all over the world, right? This is one of the problems with social media today. We think we can just jump up and say whatever we want. We don't learn how to sit and think a little bit or have conversations but the problem is we don't want to ever fall into that trap and if we start to feel that stagnancy in our heart that it's just becoming more ritualistic even in what we're about to partake in the Lord's Supper and we should just honestly pray to God this is how I feel Lord I, I feel I don't feel as exhilarated as when I first believed I, I, I don't I don't feel as committed to your cause. I don't feel as joyful about being with believers as I used to. I just want to make sure I, I go to church, so to speak. I mean, we are the church, right? So we still go to church in terms of a service, but ultimately we are a living body of believers. And we want to feel the peace and the joy and the hope and all the things we think about during Advent all of our life. We want to grow together. We want to grieve together when we're, those of us who are suffering are suffering. This is why it is so good to see those of us who have been going through and are still going through periods of mourning and grieving coming out on Sunday morning coming out to fellowship with the saints. This is your family if you're a believer. Put aside your last name. What is your first name as a Christian? What is the first part of that word? Christ. We are members of the body of Christ. On the other hand, we don't want to get so carried away um, with the kind of thinking that some people promote 
that we recognize that we do have the Holy Spirit dwelling in us and it's not about buildings and we completely lose sight of everything I just spoke of which seems to be happening more and more as the return of Christ draws near and so I just want to I want to read those words of Peter and close with them one more time Second Peter chapter 1 starting in verse 16. For we did not follow cleverly devised myths when we made known to you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. For when he received honor and glory from God the Father and the voice was born to him by the majestic glory, this is my beloved Son with whom I am well pleased. We ourselves heard this very voice born from heaven for we were with him on the holy mountain and we have the prophetic word more fully confirmed to which you will do well to pay attention as to a lamp shining in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts know this first of all that no prophecy of scripture comes from someone's own interpretation for no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit this is the word of the Lord let us pray Father, we again come before you giving you thanks that you not only created all things and that through your Son, that he not only is upholding all things, but that he sits at your right hand as the Word made flesh. He, he sits as our mediator even now. He sits as our substitute who has lived a substitutionary life for us, who has died a substitutionary death on our behalf, who has been raised in our place so that we too know with confidence that if we trust in Him, we will receive forgiveness, we will be born again, and we will be raised. And who is seated at your right hand, interceding for us, May the fact this Christmas, may the fact that, that Jesus Christ is working and has worked and will work on our behalf, and He's doing that through the Holy Spirit, may this become more rich to us, more special, more meaningful, more impactful. Blessed Holy Spirit, we praise You for giving us this gift of Your Holy Word, for Your faithfulness your commitment to the father's plan we thank you that he who began a good work in us will bring it to completion we thank you that you're making us more like christ because we need to be less like ourselves please please help us help us to trust you help us to trust in your word 
and to walk by the Spirit. We, we ask these things for the glory of Christ and for the good of His people.